This audio podcast is from the River Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope God uses it to encourage and grow your relationship with Christ. For more information about the River Church, visit us online at theriverdfw.com or facebook.com backslash theriverdfw. Get into kind of this new series. Um, we're going to be talking about um, something that was really kind of a. It was a book that I read a while back that that kind of inspired me to where we're going to be these next few weeks. And it, it's really just a book that talks about who Jesus is and what Jesus is. And I thought that this would be perfect as we head into Easter. What a perfect place that we could go, right? Talking about who Jesus is, and so that's kind of where we're going to be. Um, have you ever? had the point, or I bet that we all probably have come to the point in our lives where we've asked the question, why am I here? Have you ever wondered that? Like a couple weeks ago, I was at the DMV and I was sitting next to a guy who was like hacking up a lung. (laughs) I was like taking forever and I had the question, why am I here? (laughs) Like it's worth the risk, right? I mean, I'm probably not going to get pulled over (laughs) and get a ticket, right? But I think at one point or another in our lives, we probably all ask that question, why am I here? What's the point? What's the meaning? What's the reason? Like I even remember as I was a kid, I, re- I remember laying in the bed and we had these bunk beds and I remember just laying on the top bunk and just staring at the ceiling and asking that question, why am I here? What's the point? Like I was a pretty deep little kid. <laughs> I remember just asking that question, what's the meaning? And like also it was around the same time that they were teaching about heaven and Sunday school and, and about how we're just going to sit in heaven forever and like sing and worship Jesus for, for the rest of eternity. And I remember being like, man, that sounds really boring. <laughs> I was a weird kid. But I think that we, there's often moments in lives where we come to that question, we ask that question, why am I here? What's the point? What's, what's the meaning? And, and it, it pops up at different times in our lives, right? Like, like oftentimes after we've had a huge failure or a huge loss, like we lost somebody we love, we ask that question, why am I here? What's the meaning? But it's not just when we have loss or failure that happens. It often comes up when we have a huge success in our lives. Like there's a big success that we've been working for, striving towards, trying to get to, and we finally reach that certain success and we get there and it just didn't fulfill us like we thought it would or it just didn't do in our lives what we, what we thought it might do. And so we asked the question like, what's the point? What's the meaning? I thought this would do it for me, right? Like I watched a few, uh, last week I watched this documentary about Lance Armstrong on Netflix and, and some of you guys have been talking about this. So you're like, oh my gosh, this documentary again, right? But I watched this documentary on Netflix uh, about Lance Armstrong and about um, just how, him, how he got caught in the lie and all this kind of thing. But what struck me about the documentary was that here you have this guy, Lance Armstrong, the greatest cyclist, in my opinion, of all time, even though he was cheating. Everybody was cheating. We can talk about it later. But <laughs> so the preacher said, if everybody's cheating, it's okay. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not, I don't, don't take that away. But the thing that struck me about this is here you have this guy who's like the greatest cyclist of all time. He's won seven straight Tour de France, something that's never happened in the history of like racing. And he's just widely regarded as this incredible cyclist and he just couldn't quit. Like he couldn't give it up. He retired and he just had to come back in 2009. He just couldn't. There's something more he had to go for. Like he was considered the greatest of all time, but he just couldn't quit. He had to keep coming back. And that's why he got busted, just in case you were wanted, because he couldn't give it up and why? Because that thing he was striving after, he was seeking, it just didn't fulfill him. So he had to keep coming back to the well. I had to keep coming back, trying to get more. And I think what happens in our lives is we spend tons and tons of time and energy trying to figure this out. What is it going to be that's going to satisfy me? What is it going to be that's going to give me meaning? What is it going to be in my life that finally gives me 
happiness. And I think after a long time, it just feels like you're running on a hamster wheel, doesn't it? Like just going and going and going and running and running and running and faster and faster and faster and faster. And then like you stop and you're just in the same place that you always were. We all face moments in our lives where we kind of see the brevity of life, where we kind of see that life truly is a vapor. And there's a book in the Bible that talks a lot about this, and it's one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's the book of Ecclesiastes. And it was written by this guy named Solomon. As a matter of fact, when I was in my early 20s, there's a church here in DFW uh, called The Village. They did a sermon series on Ecclesiastes, and it was one of those sermon series that just kind of changes your life. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Hopefully you do <laughs> here at the river. Like, oh, I don't have experience that. But it's one of those sermon series that you just remember, that you just hold on to, that, that, that changes you, right? Maybe one day we'll do a sermon series on Ecclesiastes because it's such a fantastic book. But we'll do kind of a, we're going to run through it today a little bit. It was written by Solomon, who is the son of King David. So he's one of the kings of Israel. And what's really interesting about Solomon's life is that, is that God comes to him and says, I'm going to give you one thing, kind of like the, the genie in the bottle scenario, like that perfect, that thing we all dream about, right? Like the genie in the bottle, one wish. And so God comes to me and says, I'm going to give you one thing, anything that you ask for. And Solomon asks for wisdom. <laughs> that is not what I would have asked for. <laughs> right? You think about that, I've been like, money, right? Power, make me the king of the world, right? Like, whatever. Solomon asked for wisdom to rule his kingdom. And God's so impressed by, his, by what he asked for that God blesses him abundantly, not just with wisdom. He gives him abundant wisdom. wisdom. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he's the wisest man who ever lived, lived. But he blesses him with wisdom. He blesses him with wealth. He blesses him with fame. He blesses him with this huge kingdom. As a matter of fact, just materially speaking, Solomon was probably the greatest king in Israel's time. If we're just talking about like, kingdom growth and conquering land and just money and all those kinds of metrics, right? So here we have this guy, Solomon, who has it all. He has wealth. He has power. He has prestige. He had like 500 wives, which is like insane, right? But I bring that up because we have this guy, Solomon, who the Bible tells us lacked for nothing. Everything this dude wanted, he could have. Nothing was out of his grasp. Nothing was out of his reach. And what's really interesting about Solomon is here he is, he's living life, and he begins to look around. He tells us this in Ecclesiastes. He begins to look around, and he sees how everyone around him seems to be searching for happiness. Everyone around him seems to be searching for the meaning of life, the point of life. And he's kind of doing that himself, and which kind of feels a little bit like the world we live in today, right? And so Solomon sets out, and he tells us in Ecclesiastes, it's pretty interesting. He says, I set out, he says, to perform a test. I decided to perform a test or an experiment. And he says, and who's going to be the subject of this experiment? He said, me. And so he sets out to perform this experiment. He makes himself the test subject of this experiment. And what he says, he sets out the goal. He, he states the goal in Ecclesiastes in front of us before he ever tells us about the test. He says, the goal was for me to use my unbelievable resources, my unbelievable wealth, my unbelievable power to achieve happiness to figure out what the meaning of life is so that I can point to it and tell the world, this is what you need to search for. This is where you, where you need to go. What's going to bring purpose? And so he uses his wealth and his power and his prestige, and he sets out 
and he chases all these different things to try to make certain things ultimate and the meaning and the center of life. And he just crashes and burns. As a matter of fact, it goes so well that he opens up the book of Ecclesiastes with these words in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, 1 and 2. I looked at that TV for it to see if it was on there. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> the words of a teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. <laughs> Some Bibles translated as vanity, vanity. Everything is vanity. Other translations, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And then the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes just goes downhill from there. <laughs> Are you encouraged this morning? Are you glad that you're at the River Church today? You're like, it's time change. Preachers preach and tell me everything is meaningless. Like, this potluck better be good. <laughs> The rest of the book of Ecclesiastes basically systematically details how he crashes and burns. And, and what we see in Solomon's thought process is that if a little power is good, if a little fame is good, if a little pleasure or hedonism is good, then a lot of power, maybe that's the point of life. Or a lot of pleasure, just seeking pleasure in everything we do, maybe that's the point of life. Or just working my butt off and accomplishing a lot of things, maybe that's the meaning of life. And he uses his, this power, right, and proceeding all of it just to seek all those things in ways that we never could. And he ends with that statement, everything is meaningless. As a matter of fact, let me just kind of walk you through. Here are some of his thoughts as he goes through. And he goes, what he does is he seeks out different aspects of life to see if maybe they're central, maybe they're the thing that could give me meaning, right? He, maybe they'll be whatever. And here's what he says. If, he says, in intelligence or being the smartest guy in the room. Here's what, he, here's what he tells us about that. Chapter 118, he says, The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase my knowledge only increased my sorrow. <laughs> Essentially, he says, the more I knew, the more I understood, the more intelligent I was, the more I saw how messed up things were. The more how jacked up I saw the world was, or even how meaningless I saw certain things were. As a matter of fact, I had a conversation with Stephen Reinsmith, who goes here at the church, goes to the river. And uh, we were talking, this was a long time ago, like 10 years ago. And uh, he, if you know Stephen, he is one of the smartest people you will ever, ever meet. Dude, just, I mean, you ask him a fact from like 1905, and he's like, oh, yeah, that was blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I want to punch you, right? <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> you're too smart. But uh, anyways, we were talking, and uh, he said, Mike, he said, he was like, he said, it's hard for me to be motivated in life. And I was like, why is it? Why? And he wasn't like being braggadocious. He's like, I just, he's like, I know I'm smart and whatever. And I have a lot of gifts and stuff. And he's like, but because I'm so smart, because he said, I can just see to the end of things. And I just, I see all the different things that we chase and I could strive after and I could go for. And I just, I just see the end result of it. And I see how meaningless it is in the end. <laughs> and that's kind of what Solomon is saying here to us is like, the more I knew, the more I could see how meaningless certain things were. Here's what he says about pleasure. Chapter 2, verse 10, he says, Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. Could you imagine that? Like, maybe we shouldn't. 
but just being in a position where he says, any pleasure I wanted, even every hedonistic, even twisted thought that I wanted, that my heart or my body desired, I chased after I got it, I sought it, right? He says, and not only that, he said, I even found pleasure in hard work, like working hard and accomplishing and achieving a reward for all my labor. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all meaningless, like chasing after the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. And I think about the 500 wives. I think about the pleasure he sought after. And what it, what it really made me think about was, was Hugh Hefner. <laughs> and I read an article when Hugh Hefner died. Um, and there was this guy who had gone and interviewed him. And he talked about how we have this image of this guy, Hugh Hefner, this big playboy. And I'm sure he had a lot of fun in his life. Sinful fun, but fun, Right. And talk about how we just have this image of him as like this, like the American man's man, what every guy wants to be. And he said he went in to interview him kind of in his last days. And he said it was the most pathetic, sad thing he had ever seen. It's because here you have this guy who for all the intimacy he had had in his life in his last days had no intimacy, had no one close to him, had no one that truly loved him. And he said, literally, he said he spent his last days in a room that smelled like dog pee alone. I just think the tragedy and the sadness of that. Seeking hedonism brought nothing to him. And work, work spending our lives, making our work the central thing or the most important thing in our lives. He said, some people work wisely with knowledge and skill and then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who haven't worked for it. Essentially, you work your butt off and then you just die and everybody, someone else gets to enjoy everything you've worked for. This too is meaningless, a great tragedy. So what do people get in their life for all their hard work and their anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. They're, at night, their minds can't rest, but it is all meaningless. The last one I'll tell you, there's a lot of them in here that he goes through. But the last one is on just simply being a good person. <laughs> you think maybe, maybe it's about just being good, right? Being a good person and trying to do the right things. Chapter 8, verse 14, he says, <laughs> And this is not all that is meaningless in our world. In this life, good people are often treated as though they were wicked, and wicked people are treated as if they were good. It's also meaningless. Are you encouraged yet? At the end of his search, the final conclusion that we see Solomon come to and Chapter 12, verse 13 is this. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. Solomon, this guy who has more wealth, more power, more prestige, more opportunity than really any of us, if we're honest with ourselves, will ever have in our entire lives come to the conclusion that meaning is not found in power, meaning is not found in pleasure, meaning is not found in work, meaning is not even found in being a good person. <laughs> says, just fear God and keep his commandments. And when I read this and I go through this, it kind of scares me for us, because the truth is that none of us will ever have the power, the prestige, the resources, the opportunity that Solomon has where we can really chase these things out to their end result, right? And yet we're going to keep trying and trying and trying and think if I can just get a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that, or if I finally get this house, or if I finally get this place, or if I finally get this job or this money or that whatever, 
I'll finally get there. And at the end of the day, man, it's like we're just running, 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 running. At some point, we got to get off the hamster wheel. Because the truth of the matter is, or at least what I believe we can take from what Solomon's saying, is that if we're not happy with, I'm not trying to bust anybody, I'm just saying some examples, but if we're not happy with the income level we're at now, we might never not be happy or at peace. If we're not happy with the whatever we have now, the marital status we have now, you may not never be at peace. If you're not happy with the job you have now, what I'm trying to say to you is changing those things won't be the thing that makes you happy. We need to understand that those things are not the things that have the ability to bring happiness to our hearts. Those things aren't the things that have the ability to to satisfy us deep down. Because the truth is, is that while some of those things, some of those changes can bring temporary happiness, they'll never bring final happiness. I mean, think about the story of Lance Armstrong that we talked about, right? Here we have this guy who's the greatest cyclist of all time, but he just couldn't stop. He had to keep coming back because it didn't finally satisfy. Those things, they don't bring satisfaction to the soul. And what I was thinking about, and this is kind of a weird example, but I was thinking about somebody in a third world country. (laughs) And I was thinking of them looking at my life and probably looking at my life and just being like, man, if I could have the house that Michael has and the job that Michael has and the, everything, man, I would be happy, right? You think about that third world to hear me. If I had, I would be happy and find satisfaction, right? And I began to think that through and I thought, but honestly, if they can't find joy and peace and happiness where they are now, they had everything I have, not that it's a bunch of stuff, <laughs> but they probably wouldn't find it there either. Because the truth is is that meaning and joy and satisfaction isn't a stuff issue. At the end of the day, it becomes a heart issue for us. And so you say, Mike, are you saying that it's wrong to want nice stuff or a bigger house or a better job or more money or whatever? I'm like, no, 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 no. Because like at some point, my family's going to get bigger and I'm going to need a bigger house. (laughs) At some point, my truck's going to die and I'm going to want a different truck. At that point, you'll be like, but Mike, you said, no, 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 (laughs) no, no, no. What I want us to understand is that if you depend on those things for your happiness, you're going to spend years being miserable. Because here's what's going to happen is you're going to spend years going, if I only had this, if I only had this, if I could only get there in my job, if I could only get there in my finances, if I could only get there in whatever, if I could only get there, if I could only get there, if I could only get there, then I'd be happy. And you'll spend years being miserable because you're not there. And then what's going to happen is you're going to work your butt off, you're going to get there, and you're going to go, It didn't satisfy me. And you're going to spend years being miserable (laughs) because it didn't satisfy. And so I'm not saying don't work for those things. Don't try to achieve those things. Don't try to go. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is don't depend on those things to be your satisfaction because at the end of the day, it will leave you wanting. It will leave you empty. And I'm telling you that because I love you and I care about you. And I don't I want us to learn from Solomon. <laughs> because the truth is the meaning of life isn't found in anything that this life 
can offer you. When Solomon says to us, fear God and keep his commandments, what he's telling us is what he's talking to us about is that life at the end of the day is about our relationship with God. It's about focusing on God, the only thing that can truly bring meaning to our lives. And he says this really interesting thing. He says, fear God and keep his commandments. And this word fear isn't like shuddering, like terrified, right? Like it's not, you should walk around and be like, oh, I'm scared of God, right? This word it actually means it's fear, but it's like fear in the sense of awe. A long time ago, Katie and I took, we have some kayaks, and we took our kayaks out to the ocean. And we were out on the ocean. We got, I took mine away. I wanted to go out as far as I could. And so I went past the waves, you know, where it's crazy and everything's whipping around. And I got past that, and I just went and went and went and kayaked out as far as I could until I couldn't see anybody anymore. And I, I remember getting out there, and there's this point where I stopped, and I was just sitting there in the silence of the ocean, right? Where the water's not whipping it and it's just kind of still. And I remember sitting there and it was the most like terrifyingly beautiful experience of my life. Because I'm like, there's going to be a shark come up and eat me. (laughs) But there was just something about the power and the beauty of the ocean that was awe-inspiring in my heart. And what's really cool, actually, is that a dorsal fin popped up in like a second and terrified me, but it was like a bunch of dolphins. It was the coolest experience of my life. But like for a minute, I was like backing up, like, oh, I'm going to die. And that, I think that's kind of what Solomon's talking about, is that our lives should be lived in the awe and the magnificent beauty of the majesty of our Creator. And as we live in that awe, as we walk in our relationship with Jesus, as we trust Him, as we respond to Him, as we love Him, we begin to find meaning and purpose in our lives. And we see God in the person of Jesus Christ. We see the awesomeness of our God in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the manifestation of God here on earth. As Katie's pastor used to say, Jesus is God with skin on. (laughs) God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And when we live our lives in awe of Jesus We recognize his power over our lives, the thing that gives us meaning. We live in awe. It begins to change our lives so that life doesn't become about me anymore. It begins to become about Jesus. And let me just tell you this because I love you so much. Life makes so much more sense when it's not about me. When everything's not about me anymore, I'm able to live selfless. Not that I'm perfect at it. I'm not saying me. I'm not. I'm a selfish person, but I'm trying not to be. But we're able to live more selfless and we're able to live more free. And what happens is Jesus becomes the focal point of our lives. And I believe that's what Solomon is trying to get to eventually here is that when we put all those other things as the focal point of our lives, they leave us empty. But when Jesus is the focal point, things change. Is there anybody in here that's an interior designer, interior decorator? My wife could be, I think. I think she's great at it. Is she in here? Yeah, she's good at it. In interior design, there's this concept that is referred to as the focal point. So what happens is every single room in the house has a focal point. And so every single room has something that everything else is designed around, that everything else points to, that everything else is drawn to. And so when people walk into the room, whether consciously or unconsciously, they're, they're drawn to this focal point. 
In some houses, it's a TV. My house is the TV. Some houses, it's artwork. It could be a, a window. It could be like an elk head. I don't know. <laughs> but the idea here is that Jesus becomes the focal point of our lives. And essentially what I'm saying is he's not a part of the room. He's the thing that everything else in the room is based around. You see what I'm saying? The idea here, and if you can see this, is what happens to so many of us in our lives. We do this thing right here where this is our life, right? Don't make fun of me. I'm really bad at these things. This is a pie chart. And we have this thing right here in the center, and that's me, that everything else is designed around. And we have different parts in our lives, right? We got our family, right? We got our money. That's the important one. We got our job, right? And then we got our faith with Jesus. You know, Jesus, that's, that's Jesus in Hebrew, in case you're wondering, right? <laughs> And what we do is, is all of these things revolve around me, right? And so family, you treat our family how I want to treat, you treat our money how I want to, our job how I want to, what's best for me, what works out best for me. And Jesus just becomes a part of the equation. Or we do this, we replace me with something else. Like, like my family becomes the focal point or my money becomes the focal point. And so everything else kind of centers or revolves around that. And the thing that we're missing here, the thing that I want us to do today is to change that focal point. Because the way it's supposed to be, truthfully, is that here in the focal point we have Jesus. I'll just do a fish that time. Jesus. And everything else in our lives revolves around that. Family, how we spend our monies, how Jesus says to do it, how we treat our families, how Jesus says to do it, how we work at our job is how Jesus says to do it. And what happens where Solomon was messing up is that he was trying to interchange what should be the focal point, what should be the point. So he said, is pleasure, should that be the thing we seek more than anything? Is that, should that be the thing that we strive after more than anything? And he chased after pleasure and he said, it doesn't satisfy, it doesn't fulfill, it leaves me feeling empty. Or should it be a job? Should a job be the thing that I chase more than anything, that I, that I strive after more than anything? Will that be the thing that brings me satisfaction more than anything? And he chased after it with his tremendous wealth and he built and he built and he built and he said it did didn't satisfy me. It left me feeling empty. Should my family, and you go, family, yeah, but if your family is a thing that rules your life, guess what? Kids grow up and they go away, and then you're going, what do I do? Or maybe you get a divorce one day and your wife or your husband leaves you unexpectedly. What do I do, right? If you chase after those things and they are the ultimate, most important thing in your life, at the end of the day, you can chase it and chase it and chase it and chase it. And then you're just left empty. My challenge to us here today is to make Jesus the focal point in the room. To make Jesus the focal point in your life. So when you try to bring in the couch, you go, no, baby, that clashes with Jesus. <laughs> we'll get a different couch. And olive is a weird color anyways. <laughs> so often what happens in our lives is our lives get so jacked up. Even as Christians, I do this, man, I do this. Even as a Christian, what happened is I removed this thing from the focal point and I put some, let me tell you my, the sin that I have the problem with at this is I make, sometimes I make the church the focal point and you go, well, that's good. No, Jesus is the focal point of the church. <laughs> and so, so often when we get jacked up as we put something else in that place and we begin like Solomon, except without all of his resources, striving after that thing, striving after that thing, striving after that thing, thinking that it will satisfy, that it will fulfill, that it will bring us that meaning. And at the end of the day, it will absolutely 
exhaust you. And so today, we need to make Jesus the focal point in our lives. And that might mean you need to make some changes. That might mean you need to have some conversations. That might even mean you need to take some risks. But let me tell you that without Jesus as the focal point, you will not have the foundation with which to stand on for the rest of your life. It doesn't mean that everything will be fine and dandy, but it means that you will have the most solid foundation that you could ever ask for. And that you'll have the best chance to find that meaning and purpose and fulfillment for life. And so today, I simply just want to end by asking you that question. What's your focal point? What's your focal point? Jesus, I love you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for this church, for this family. God, Lord, I pray that you would help us to make sure that you're the focal point in our lives, to make sure that you're the center of our lives, make sure that you're central, God. Because so often, man, we can chase after so many things and make so many other things ultimate in our lives, and they just leave us feeling lost. But today, we simply celebrate this, that Jesus is the point. Jesus is fulfillment. Jesus is meaning. Jesus is life. And so today, as we worship you and we sing to you, God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts, that you would challenge us, and maybe we could see whether or not you're exactly where you need to be in our hearts, God. For I love you. Transform us and change us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.